everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this exceptional interview with Matt Basta as we explore behind the curtain of accessible podcasting, inside and out, with Matt Basta, the founder and owner of Pinecast Podcasting. Get ready for another episode full of information, laughter, and new ideas for readers and authors. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad you're all here with us today. So let's get started. It's my pleasure to introduce all of you to our guest, Matt Basta, who I enjoy calling the Pinecast Wizard of Podcasting because that's what he has become to us. Matt is a software engineer by trade and the founder of Pinecast, a service for podcasters to host their shows online. Pinecast started as a side project for Matt's own podcast and grew into a small business powering tens of thousands of podcasts. Matt and Pinecast focus on creating a streamlined system that makes it easy to run a successful show with emphasis on simplicity, accessibility, and flexibility. So let's pull back the podcasting curtain and talk to the wizard of Pinecast, Matt Basta. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Hi, Matt. Kathy and I are glad that you've accepted our invitation. Many of us in the ACB community, along with ACB Media and many of our affiliates, are also Pinecast users not just for your powerful and straightforward platform, but also for your outstanding technical support. And my first question is, why do you think people want to create podcasts? That's a great question. Folks make podcasts for any number of reasons. And in fact, when I started Pinecast, I assumed it was, they had this sort of itch to put some content out into the world, but very, very quickly, I learned that folks have very different needs. One of the first use cases, which I didn't expect, lots of religious folks, uh, be it priests or reverends or whoever, will post their sermons or lectures online. There's a lot of uh, teachers who will post uh, homework assignments, lesson plans, things like that for their students. Really anyone who has an interest in distributing content that's not just text, uh, just a blog can do so. And it's really easy to get started. I think folks uh, appreciate the fact that audio is a little more candid, a little more off the cuff, whereas writing, putting something down on paper, you know, typing it up is a little more edited and maybe in, in, in some ways less authentic in terms of the person who's sort of presenting the content. Thank you. So can you briefly explain how Pinecast is a podcast host how it fits into the podcasting process. Uh, I like to say that folks come to us with their MP3s. Um, you know, you sit down with your audio editing tool, you've recorded some audio, you edit it up, and you have an audio file at the end. You sign up for Pinecast, you upload your audio file, and then Pinecast takes care of putting it into the right formats and doing the, the distribution. So we provide the sort of core functionality of podcasts, which is giving you a, a feed. The feed is the tool which 
podcast apps and directories will pull from to get your latest episodes. We offer services around uh, analytics. You know, how many people are listening broken down by the type of app that folks are using or how they uh, got to your show. Pinecast also does things like podcast website or what we call short links, which are these sort of social media friendly URLs that you can easily put into a tweet or a Facebook post, come with a nice preview card, all of the things that you would need in order to get started. I describe it to people that it's similar to the tree trunk and then Apple goes off into all these other branches. Is that similar to what you're describing? Yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, like your RSS feed and the infrastructure on Pinecast that powers that feed is in a lot of ways like that, that tree trunk, you know, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all of these apps that, that folks choose to use each sort of branch off and pull that information into their own ecosystems. So we don't know about Pinecast. Pinecast is basically behind the scene, but it's very important for people to have a good podcast service. So would you tell us why that is and how yeah, that works? Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a lot of different options when you start a podcast. Pinecast is by far not the only option out there. I'll say the first thing is that, you know, you can do it yourself if you really wanted to. And a lot of folks do take that route. You get a lot more control, but you also have uh, sort of the burden of maintaining all of this infrastructure yourself. Um, there's oftentimes a lot of features which you wouldn't be able to take advantage of because you simply can't build them as an independent third party. There's also free services that you can use, but as I like to say, you sort of get what you pay for there. Customer service is going to be, you know, sort of not on par with a service that you're paying for. Oftentimes, if you're not paying for it, you are the product. And so these services will monetize your content with ads or add their logo or, or branding to your show. When you're choosing a, a paid podcast host, really it comes down to what you need. In a lot of ways, Pinecast doesn't really compete with many of the other major podcast hosts simply because we're targeting a specific demographic of podcaster. Yeah. If you're talking about like the Mark Marins or the Joe Rogans of the world, you know, they're looking for a vastly different solution than somebody who wants to put their D&D podcast online or the, mm. you know, City Hall recording. What Pinecast specializes in is helping folks who have small to generous number of listeners get their show online as quickly and easily as possible without any of the heartache or trouble and without sort of overwhelming you with options and choices and tiny details that most folks wouldn't care about. Kathy, she's more tech savvy with all this than I am. And I was connecting with Pinecast before Kathy and I teamed up together. And I can say personally, and I know Kathy will say even more, being able to contact you via email is phenomenal. We actually get a real life person who's talking with us and talking us through that or emailing us specific directions. So thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. Matt has been wonderful in tech support. I mostly use the chat window and his responsiveness is par none. I have <laughs> not experienced anything like it in the industry because not only is he responsive, but he's knowledgeable and <laughs> that's worth gold. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Matt, what should people look for in a podcast service host? What are we looking for when We've created our MP3 file and we want to get it out there to the universe. The podcast service host, what should a consumer be looking for? I think it's going to really depend on your intent. I am 
not going to try and deceive anybody and say that Pinecast is always the right solution. You know, certainly if all your goal is, is to archive some audio files that you've produced or just put them out into the world, something simple that maybe is even free could be a good option for you. I think the best first step is to think about what realistically are your sort of one to two year plans for your show. If you only plan to do a few episodes, you're going to want to look at something where you can sort of put it into autopilot and the cost isn't going to be a burden over the years, right? Normally, if you're going with a paid podcast host, once you stop paying, you either face some limitations or uh, your show gets shut down. With Pinecast, we'll, for instance, display the most recent 10 episodes to your listeners, but the older episodes get archived. And so that's one option. In the case of Pinecast, we have, for instance, a feature which lets you sort of go into read-only mode for a lower cost. And so that could be something interesting. If you plan to grow and you plan to do it sort of indefinitely, you're going to want to look at uh, the analytics features, being able to measure how many people are listening both over time and per episode is going to be really important. One of the features that Pinecast offers, for instance, uh, is what we call the growth view. And it allows you to see by episode, how quickly an episode gets attention. And so you can look and say from day zero, when an episode was first published, which episode uh, gained the most traction quickly? And then, uh, you know, where did that plateau start? And so something like that can give you insight into which episodes and what content are your listeners most interested in. Uh, so features like that are going to be really important when you're deciding what kind of host you want to go with. Other things are, you know, how tech savvy are you? How much are you willing to do yourself? Are you going to set up your own website? Do you want to use a website that your host would provide? You know, do you need recording tools built into the, the host? Do you need editing or mastering tools or the specific integrations that you're looking for? All of these things are going to be things that you want to factor into your final decision. Great overview. Terrific overview there, Matt. Very honest overview too. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things that I had been with several different services over the years, I've written books about podcasting. So I've done a lot of surveying of different podcast services and what they offer and what they don't. And one of the things I really appreciate is the distribution features that you have built into it. I come from the day where, you know, Matt's talked about the feed. So the piece of code that's generated every time you upload your audio file, and then that piece of code goes out and is available to all the different podcast directories. We used to build that by hand and actually have to do the coding ourselves. And of course, that's not necessary anymore. Most podcast hosts do it. But he goes even further with Pinecast in that he has built in under distribution where you can select which platforms you want to make your podcast available to. So you can click a button to make it available to Amazon and Lady A and Echo. And you can click another button to make it available to Apple Podcast and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And quite a few of them are there. This is a big boon because we used to have to literally go into each of those directories, create usernames and passwords and submit ours for review and approval. The integration, the one-click capability is just a dream in this day and age. So that's one feature I really appreciate in yours the other, you hit it on the nose, is the analytics. But a third one that I really want to mention, Matt, and is very relevant to our group, is the accessibility of Pinecast. And I maybe would have veered to one or more of the big players with all of the widgets and bells and whistles on it. But the accessibility and tech support of Pinecast was a no-brainer for me in our community because you provide everything we need 
but our screen readers work, magnification work, and then being able to help us through the process. So has this always been an interest of yours? How did your capabilities for great accessibility of Pinecast come about? Well, first of all, I, I'm glad that this is working well for you. <laughs> I'll say, it, at least in the beginning, it wasn't something that I was doing intentionally. You know, accessibility wasn't my number one priority. And certainly, I would say just overall user experience is the number one priority. My background, I should say my first real job, <laughs> have air quotes, was at Mozilla. Um, and I was working on the addons.mozilla.org website, later the Firefox Marketplace, which is the app store for the Firefox mm -hmm. phone. And Mozilla has such a huge focus with everything they build on inclusiveness. And so that sort of wraps up localization, making sure everything's translated into dozens of languages, the accessibility of their products and making sure that they're usable by as many people as possible. And not just folks who need screen readers, but folks with limited mobility or uh, colorblindness or any number of different problems. So that's sort of always been in the back of my mind. Part of it is also, this isn't meant as a dig <laughs> to other programmers, but oftentimes the simplest code is the most accessible code. Most things which are inaccessible, you sort of have to go out of your way to build. And so, you know, a good example of that is in HTML, which is the language you use to build stuff on a web page. They have a button tag. And if you don't use a button tag for buttons, then you have to sort of jump through a bunch of hoops to make that accessible to screen readers. And so it just makes sense to make your buttons buttons or you know, hyperlinks should be the hyperlink tag and so on and so forth. I've been sort of pedantic about making sure that I do things, you know, quote unquote, the right way. Part of that is making sure that I'm using the right tools for the job, making sure that I'm not doing something that I'll have to clean up later or regret. As the service got built, more and more folks started using it and I would get requests and say, hey, um, you know, this doesn't work quite, quite right. Or I, I've had folks with limited vision or, or blind users write in and say, oh, you know, I can't see how to do this or I, I don't know what's going on here. And I would take a look and I realized I was doing something silly or I was using a third party tool, which wasn't quite accessible. And so that quickly became more and more of a focus. A year or so ago, Jonathan Mosen became a customer, and I understand that he's uh, fairly well known in the uh, blind podcasting community. He was writing in, and there were a few rough edges that he wanted taken care of, and I got those patched up for him. He had invited me onto the show, and after I was on his podcast, there was a huge influx of folks from ACB and elsewhere joining Pinecast and offering feedback, and uh, certainly then my focus was really on making sure that it was a, a very good experience and not just something that you know I was doing passively. That's excellent. Taking your professional experience in one context, learning from that about what accessibility means, translating it into your practice as a person developing sites, building code. What a great example for people who want to build accessible platforms. I wish everybody could hear that. In addition, you're demonstrating responsiveness to your users. And not every organization and company does that, Matt, very plain and simply. And so we really appreciate your responsiveness and taking it to heart and making a priority to address those concerns and increasing accessibility, finding ways to solve things. It's been really critically important for our community, you can imagine, to be able to create our own podcasts, distribute them ourselves, and not rely on people with other abilities to have to do it for us. It's been very empowering for us, and, and you're part of that. I hope you understand the significance of that. 
on the personal side as well, Matt, when was your first exposure in life to people that had experiences with vision loss? My mom uh, actually has uh, blindness, total blindness in one eye and, and low vision in the other. And so growing up uh, for me, it was just always something that I was around, like going out shopping with my mom and my grandmother, you know, having to help my mom look at prices or find things on store shelves or helping my mom to uh, go through her wallet for coupons, <laughs> uh, you exactly. know, all those sorts yeah. of things. It was always sort of this, I guess you might say like a background radiation um, in my life where I had to sort of make sure that I wasn't doing anything that wouldn't be helpful. <laughs> Well, we really appreciate that because no doubt that awareness has carried through in your life and helped shape you into the man that you are today. So we appreciate that. And I just wanted to draw it out because it popped up in email yesterday that we shared and we appreciate those early years and the influence that your mom had on you and that you had already mentioned some of the impact that analytics can have on podcast development. You know, I'm a stats research person. I love your analytics. Cheryl was supposed to ask you about this. She says, Kath, are you kidding? This is your quest. I really enjoy your analytics. One of the features I want to mention to people is that you not only can see per episode how many listens there are and by operating system, which is important. And I'm going to let Matt maybe explain that. But you can click a button and download those stats into a CSV file, which you can read in Excel or another spreadsheet. And that's really important so that you can then manipulate it, save it, et cetera. And that's a very powerful feature that we appreciate. But Matt, what are some of the reasons somebody would want to know the operating system their listeners are using? What does that tell them? Yeah, that's a good question. So operating system, it, I've sort of gone back and forth on this because early on, I wanted to give as much data as possible. And then later on, I was sort of going through feature by feature and saying, is this really useful? You know, sort of Marie mm -hmm. Kondo holding it in my hand and saying, does this bring me joy? Operating system at the very least gives you this sort of indirect look at the demographic of your show. And so for better or worse, uh, folks with iOS are often a little more affluent. Folks with Android oftentimes make up sort of more of the general population, but it can also imply uh, the person's age. Folks who are, you know, Gen X or older um, tend to have Android devices versus folks who are younger, who are overwhelmingly on iOS or tend to be. I'm sort of an exception. I <laughs> millennial with a, an Android phone. But uh, you can also get a better understanding of sort of how your listeners actually listen to your show. So for instance, if you see that the operating system is iOS or Android, you can be fairly sure that the person is sort of passively listening, right? They put your podcast on on their phone and then they listen to it on their commute or they're at the gym or they're shopping or what have you. Whereas uh, somebody who's listening on their desktop, laptop, they sort of have to make an active choice, right? They're sit sitting at their desk. They're usually at home and Generally, you don't just listen to a show, so you're doing some sort of active work alongside of that. So operating system directly is not a super useful thing, but it can give you some hints as to who's listening and how they're listening. Absolutely. The other one I like is by browser. And I think that that can give us a little bit more insight as far as what device they might be using as well. If it's a mobile device, Mac OS versus iOS, and um, For sure. that can be really helpful to know kind of those patterns as well. That's another dimension as well. So thank you very much for that. That's just one example. 
in the analytics, there's so many different options. It's just a, a fun thing to know about the way that Matt built this. There's like a little cheering squad running around in Pinecast for you. And it says, you know, you've reached 50 listens. Hurrah. <laughs> and it's down at the bottom of the screen. That's what I see is a little cheering section, Matt. Yeah. It says, your uh-huh. next goal is 100 listeners. Yeah. And uh, kind of yeah. cute, but it's motivational. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. That was actually one of the very first features of Pinecast, even before the charts. Uh When I I built the service, it was just for me and my friends. And I thought it would just be sort of cute to say like, oh, you know, so so many listeners uh, have tuned in. Probably within the first year, even the first few customers, first few paying customers, the feedback consistently was, oh, can you add more milestones? Can you, you know, (laughs) uh, work on this feature? And even today, sort of top 10 feature requests oftentimes include the milestones feature, which is really fun. If you're using the platform, you have to look at the bottom of your screen to see this little, (laughs) I call them Easter eggs. It's sitting way down here at the the bottom and you'll see your little cheering squad from Pinecast. Over to you, Cheryl. (laughs) Thank you. When Kathy first started talking analytics, I felt like she'd say, you have to look at this. You have to look at this. There's a graph. And I was like, <laughs> you know, the little emoji where your head's exploding. I'm like, uh, okay, sure. We've been doing this for almost a year now. And I get excited that, oh my gosh, I can't believe how many people have been listening to our podcast. And, you know, we do this for our our community, but it just means so much when we see others listening in. And we work hard on our podcast to clean them up. We'll make everybody sound really good. (laughs) So we're grateful that people are listening. Thank you for those milestones. One of the things we might mention to folks that are on the call or listening on ACB Media that we haven't mentioned is we have a Zoom call in ACB community. We record this, then we edit it and put it up on the podcast. And so people all around the world listen to what we're doing later on whenever they want to. And so this Zoom call turns into a podcast. I just wanted to say that, that what we're talking about with the analytics is beyond what's happening in the Zoom room. Thanks, Cheryl. Oh, Oh, thank you, Kathy, for that clarification. So how does podcasting help promote the causes and work for others? You started by talking about churches and teachers, et cetera. So how does podcasting help? Yeah. So I think the the best way that uh, podcasting can help folks is helping to develop a community. One of the most fascinating things to me about uh, the shows that have launched on Pinecast, and oftentimes not the most popular ones, is how a small show with a unique idea can grow into something that really like ties people together. Just to chat about a, a handful of uh, a small handful of podcasts that use what we call the community plan. Um, the community plan is equivalent of the base level Pinecast paid subscription, but it is for shows which produce uh, unique creative content that likely wouldn't have been produced otherwise um, without a a sponsorship. One of the shows which was on the community plan pretty early, I think it's sort of wrapped up, but every now and then they put out an episode out of the blue. Uh, It's called uh, Eval Cafe, and it's 
this group of evaluators, evaluators being folks who work with nonprofits or governments to evaluate the efficacy of programs. Nonprofits, you know, work to improve education or literacy rates or something like that. And I, I listened to it out of the blue and it was absolutely fascinating, right? Sort of this intersection of handling uh, the sort of quantitative side of things, understanding numerically how many folks are benefiting from a program, but then also qualitatively, who benefits? How are they benefiting? Is there any sort of bias in the way that these programs are being uh, evaluated and measured? And uh, coming at it from the perspective of having empathy for the folks who are participating in these programs and knowing that even if a program is successful, the people who are a part of it may not be coming out on their best foot. And so that I think is sort of a very unique example of something where like, I don't know how else a group like that would, you know, put their work out into the world. Another one uh, is about uh, ticks. Ticks is in the, the insects and uh, the podcast raises awareness about uh, ticks and danger associated with ticks, Lyme disease, so on and so forth. I think a lot of people out there want to see more information about or want to uh, hear from other folks who have struggled with ticks or Lyme disease or, or anything like that. And being able to sort of grow a community around a, a podcast like this is really helpful, right? It's super interactive. You can have folks call in and you know appear as guests on the show, experts, and being able to form this community. And oftentimes these spill over to things like Reddit or a Facebook group, a really powerful tool for bringing people together. Do you have any recommendations on how a podcaster can stand out to the listeners from others? Any kind of recommendations you can make for that? I would say definitely bring your own original take to things. One thing that I see with podcasts that don't do so well is they're trying to copy the formula of a different show. Again, not to dunk on <laughs> any podcasters out there, but you know, a common trend is, is folks will start a, a podcast about video game news or sort of a Dungeons and Dragons playthrough, but it's not that they're trying to produce their own unique content. It's that they're trying to emulate somebody that they admire or respect. And while that's fine, it's generally not the most engaging content and folks don't really get drawn to it. Whereas if you bring your own sort of unique personality and flavor, you know, just before the recording started, you were saying that this podcast sometimes gets a little rowdy, like that's sort of what you need, right? Mm. It needs a little bit of unique flair and being able to keep the content unique and sort of evergreen, I think is important as well. You don't want to have sort of the same formulaic episodes time and time again, bringing in new voices, new perspectives, talking about things in a different way, mixing up different segments. The podcast that I was on that started Pinecast was sort of a, a mishmash of different things, but one of the things that kept it alive for as long as it, it went was mixing up the types of segments playing different conversation games, having frequent guests from lots of different walks of life or industries. And I can honestly credit uh, many of those things with making the show last, I think it was like 200, 300 episodes. It was, it was quite a while. Do you have any recommendation for the podcast listeners? Yeah. So podcast listeners definitely engage with the hosts. If your hosts ask for feedback or they you know, provide their email address, writing in and letting them know what you think or what you like, what you don't like, that is all super helpful. Mm -hmm. One of the things we have on Pinecast with the, one of our add-ons is a, a sort of like comment box. Mm -hmm. 
And writing in and, and letting the podcasters know what you enjoy the most is always super helpful. Promoting the show, um, telling your friends about it, that is always helpful. You know, retweet the episodes when you see them come through your feed. Anything that you do to help a, a small upcoming podcast has a really outsized effect. You know, oftentimes in you know, today's day and age with social media, it seems like everybody is big. Every voice is loud, but in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, the actual reach that some of these podcasts are able to get isn't really as, as big as you would expect. Do you have recommendations on links or because we kind of see also the beauty of a podcast, people can pause it when they want but mm -hmm. is a podcast ever too long? It's really going to depend on what you're putting out into the world and what your audience is looking for. If you sit there and have, uh, you know, four hours of sort of mindless conversation, folks probably aren't going to be sitting there tuning in for four hours, uh, you know, once a week or whatever. Five minutes every day, folks will tune in and listen to your five minutes every day. In general, the length of your podcast should be determined by the content that you're putting out. If yeah. you have a lot to say and there's a lot that could be said, having a longer podcast isn't really a problem. You know, one of my favorite podcasts is actually quite short. It's called The Memory Palace by a, a guy named Nick DeMeo. I think it's through Radiotopia. And it is very short, only a few minutes oftentimes. And it comes out fairly infrequently, but you know, it's always very beautiful. You know, the sort of podcast mm -hmm. where like, like Toy Story, it makes you cry every time. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, then there are other shows which are hour, two hours long, and I'll sit and listen to those the whole way through. More important than what your listeners are willing to listen to, right? You'll always find an audience. There's almost 8 billion people on this planet. We can find some folks to listen to your show is what is going to keep you consistent? Are you able to keep up four hours a week as, as a pace? A lot of folks go into the thinking that they'll be able to, then they burn out. Editing takes a long time. You know, if you're going to put in the effort to really do it well, I briefly did a Dungeons and Dragons podcast with some friends and we sort of edited it like a radio drama. And one hour of recording equaled roughly eight hours of editing. And so you mm -hmm. can imagine how putting out, you know, 45 minutes every week would translate into just a lot of work. And if you're not getting paid for it, it's really a labor of love. And if you can't do that consistently, it doesn't really matter how many listeners are, are going to care about it if you don't put out any episodes. Yeah. I mean, because it takes us a long time. I'll put in six, eight hours and then Kathy will put in another six or eight hours and we're doing it visually impaired, but you know what? We're doing it. And it is, it's a labor of love. We don't get paid for doing this, but we've decided we want it to be a quality podcast. We've really learned to tweak this and do fairly well. Absolutely. Yeah. We're a great team. <laughs> We have Carol Mackey. Carol, <laughs> you may unmute. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. the, the techie, the biggest techie person on this call. Let me just tell you, I know nothing, but I do listen to podcasts. And my question to you is about your industry. Do you have little niches or specialties? Or if I wanted to do a podcast on a particular subject or genre or whatever, would I, okay, oh, that's the person you want to go to. Does that happen in your industry and, or does it, does it not? It's just really about, I'll do the best I can for your podcast, whatever the topic. That's an interesting question. There's definitely um, sort of niches and, and groups within the podcasting community. There are folks who are very well known um, and there are shows which sort of create these like orbits. Oftentimes uh, though, there, there really isn't 
a whole lot of rhyme or reason to the, the way the podcast community is structured. You know, I mentioned sort of these religious shows in the past, and I think that's a great example of a segment, which is mostly unstructured, right? Not a lot of folks are drawn to like very large shows. So I'd say if you're interested in putting something out there, you know, chat with some friends and give them an overview of what you might talk about every week or two weeks or however often and see what they think. And the best feedback is uh, the feedback that you would get from uh, potential listeners. There's absolutely no obligation to jump into, uh, you know, a podcast segment that already exists. You know, doing your own thing is, is easy, but be aware that sort of your first few episodes, you're going to have to do some publicizing. You're going to have to post on social media. You're going to have to, you know, reach out to relevant communities on say Reddit or Facebook and say, Hey, I started a show. Y'all might be interested. Here's the link to check it out. Next up, we have Marlene. Hi, could you explain the difference between podcasting and radio broadcasting? That's a great question. The best way I could describe it is that radio is push, whereas podcasting is pull. So you can imagine somebody sitting behind the microphone in a, ra a radio studio, and as they talk, that is being actively broadcast out into the world, right? The radio waves with their voice are traveling throughout the world, and if you want to listen to it, you have to have your radio turned on and tuned in at that moment. On the other hand, a podcast the hosts will record the show and save it as a file and put that file up on a service like Pinecast. And you go and listen to it when you want. Your iPhone or desktop computer will download that audio file at your leisure and you're able to listen to it whenever you want. And Marlene, you know, this is a little bit fuzzy in today's world because many of our well-known radio stations also have podcasts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I can say to Lady A or Echo or, or whatever device I have, play the podcast NPR Daily News, mm -hmm. and it will play a recording of what was already broadcast earlier in the day. But that's a recording that has been put on the web and then now I'm pulling it to me to listen to it. So it's on demand, whereas a true broadcast on radio when it's live is broadcast like we are right now at, at the time at 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday, the 21st of January, we're streaming live, but people will later hear a recording for years to come of this and then it'll be a podcast. And then we have Lisa. I just want to say, I find this great. You girls have magic. Matt, you stepped into a great situation with these girls because they are amazing <laughs> what they do. You know, it doesn't matter week after week. It doesn't matter if I'm interested in it, the speaker is or not. They make it interesting. They make <laughs> they it inquisitive. Do. They make me want to know more. Matt, thank you very much. You gave a wonderful presentation. They have a way of just setting everything up for success. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate you. Cheryl, do you want to go to the writing prompt? Okay. And the writing prompt for next week is 50 words or less. And let's use the words huggable, mustard, whistle, and I had wolf moon, but when I dictated in, it said wolf man. Today's Wolfman Jack's birthday. Did you know that? So you can use Wolfman or Wolf Moon. So I'm going to leave that one up to you. So Huggable, Mustard, Whistle, Wolfman, and or Wolf Moon. And that's our prompt for next week. And Kathy, you want to close this out and 
So thank you everyone for making this another amazing episode. And a big thank you to our guest, Matt Basta of Pinecast. You can reach Pinecast at pinecast.com. And Matt is accessible through there. Thank you for spending time with us, Matt. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. We're also pleased to announce that we have a special discount coupon available for those who sign up for Pinecast. For a paid account, you will get 40% off for the first four months if you use the discount coupon WRITING, W-R-I-T-I-N-G, WRITING. That information is also on our website. Don't miss next Friday. We have members of Behind Our Eyes joining us for a panel discussion about their writing group. And on February 4th, the first Friday in February, we have the award-winning author of Molly Murphy's series and many other books, Reese Bowen. Writing Works Wonders weekly writing prompts are terrific creativity boosters. New and experienced writers enjoy them, and so do we. Go to writingworkswonders.com and click contact us. You'll find all the details about the writing prompts and you may post your responses there as a comment. You may also email or phone in your response to us. If you'd like them delivered to your email inbox, sign up for the Zoom link information and they're included. Our prompt last week was, it just snowed last night. You woke up, it's a snow day. What happens next? Or how do you know it's a snow day? Does anybody want to read their response to the prompt? Okay, Marlene, you're first. Snow slide. Walter picked up speed as his saucer glided, lightweight, down the most used track. He's going too fast, their friend David shouted from atop the hill. Standing near the bottom, older brother Quentin saw flashes and heard an approaching motor. Snowplow! Turn, Walt, so you don't go into the street. The frightened youngster tried to obey, flipping the saucer and tumbling off to the side in the soft, unpacked snow. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.